Happy Friday and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. So after being gone for for a good, you know, you know, tanned, ready, and rested, uh, Tim Miller is back. And but I opened up uh, opened up my browser this morning and I heard this. So I'm gone for two weeks and we're suddenly in danger of losing our hot Joe summer. Whoa. Okay. So first of all, welcome back, Tim. Hey, Charlie. It's good to be back. Are you I'm ready? I'm feisty. Are you worried though about losing the hot Joe summer? I want to know. I want. I want to get your sense of, like, uh, what is your anxiety level about hot Joe summer? Scale of one okay. to ten. Um, hmm. Anxiety mm-hmm. level is about a four. I would okay. say. Um, I, I, speaking selfishly, I'm pretty happy that I got my hot Joe summer out of the way uh-huh. <laughs> already before uh, before August, um, as things seem to be getting worse. So. You know, I mean, uh, if if it's true that uh, the self is the only thing that's that you can be certain exists, I feel pretty <laughs> good about that. Um, as for the rest of y'all, um, ah, boy, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I'm really concerned about the South. We talked about this a little bit last night on the live stream for Bulwark Plus members. Plug for Bulwark Plus members mm-hmm. Thursday night live streams. And um, my my um, my friend is an infectious disease uh, doctor in in Louisiana. Um, and has been, you know, kind of on the inner circle of COVID uh, of prep down there and, and deals with a lot of patients um, w- with COVID. And, and we talked earlier this week and, and man, I, it's pretty depressing, you know, just as far as how hard it is to break through to people, even people who their loved ones are at, at higher risk of COVID because they're immunocompromised or lo- the vaccines might not work as well on their loved ones. These are kind of patients he's dealing with. And, and, and you know, uh, they're trying to create vaccine bubbles around the, the patient. And so, you know, you got to talk to the husband or the wife and, the, you know, family members. And, and people just don't want to do it. You know, people are just so resistant um, to, to getting vaccinated because they already have these pent-up narratives in their head. And they've, you know, quote-unquote, done their own research. And if you just look at the hot zones, I mean, you know, obviously there are a couple other groups here. Younger folks are straggling, Um, you know, uh, communities, marginalized communities, color, particularly urban communities. Some of them are struggling, but like it's mostly these deep red communities of people who are refusing to get vaccinated. And, and I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. So I I just, I think that there's a lot of fatigue about you know, lockdown fatigue. And, and I think that because of the vaccination rates in blue states, it's going to be hard to completely ruin hot Joe summer and like cancel out, I do go back to outdoor masking and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, but boy, I, I don't know. know. A damper has been put on the hot Joe summer. There's no, no I, doubt about that. See, I'm, I just want to make it clear that I am, I'm somewhat anti-mask, but pro-vaccine. I am pro-vaccine, therefore anti-mask, which, which is, which is not to say that I would not wear the mask. It's just that this is all the vaccines and, uh, you're, you're not, my party is, uh, is back. We had the soundbite from it and, and you do put the, you know, um, you know, point the finger at the, what you describe as the few chuckling chodes and sociopathic <laughs> sleezes who are spreading lies about the vaccine. And, and that is a problem. Um, and you know, and it's, and it's worth noting that we, we don't have the phrase chuckling chode, um, enough out there. We, we don't use the word chode enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I was, I saw, Cho- I forget Cho- what it Cho- was, I saw it showed in another context, I was either watching a TV show or reading a book or something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was reading a lot of, uh, you know, beach reads, you know, I wasn't doing deep, yeah. deep research on the virus for everybody while I was on vacation, so 
Like, you know, one of my books, somebody called someone a chode. And as soon as I saw the word, I was just yeah, like, you have to use it. Tucker Carlson appears in my mind's eye. And I was uh, like, and I we, have, t- we have to do it. So um, the, the real value of words like chode and schmuck, you know, the Yiddish word <laughs> schmuck, is yeah. you, you can call somebody a schmuck and a chode without actually calling them a dick. But that's what it means, right? I mean, they're just simply ways of basically saying you are a human penis, but without having to say human penis. You see, it's kind of worse it, than that. Even it's like an ugly penis. It's like yep, you're. It's, right, it's a double. Exactly. It's like so, a one-two punch. So, so if if we say Tucker Carlson is an ugly penis, we'll get an explicit rating on Apple, right? iTunes. Uh, for this, but if we call him a chuckling chode, maybe we can go under the radar screen, right? Ha! So that just I'm just kind of <laughs> uh, that's that's a deep dive. Hey, by the way, before we get into a lot of this stuff, I have a correction from yesterday's podcast. Um, really, uh, in, in Fuego podcast uh, with with Tom Nichols, we were talking about Congresswoman Cory Bush, who had like one of the worst um, sound bites ever uh, talking about, uh, well, you know, she might spend $200,000 on her own personal security. She had one private security, but really in the same breath also says, but we need to defund the police for all you people who do not have private security. In any case, I, I, um, I identified her as a congresswoman from Colorado in mm. fact, she is a congresswoman from Missouri. So there is a technical term for that. Do you know what the Greek is for this? I do not. Brain fart. <laughs> um, okay, we're off. We're off to this. You start, had Tim so Miller I'm, in your head, maybe. She's from it's St. Louis, right? Uh, it's her right. district, it's which is Ferguson. where I was born. Yeah. And then I and then I'm, I was I was literally born in Ferguson at the hospital there, uh, or Florissant, right, right next to it. And uh, and then I moved to Colorado. So maybe you just kind of had some sort of tint. You knew I was coming on today, and had like a little bit of a Tim Miller no. flipperoo in your head. Nah, there was none of that going on no. here. So I'm 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 weighing whether or not I should you know back into the things before I get to, to you know going I mean you, you we mentioned the chuckling chode uh, Tucker yeah. Carlson uh, Ann Applebaum has a great piece about Tucker Carlson's self-loathing international tourism and I know that some of you think why you pay that much attention to Tucker Carlson uh, and, and we discussed this with Tom Nichols yesterday you know when what Tucker Carlson is doing is he is explicitly without any subtlety normalizing fascist adjacent authoritarianism and i always want to read you what ann applebaum says she says tucker carlson is spending a week in budapest in order to annoy americans and everybody else who believes in the ideals of america the rule of law, a free press, free elections, the conviction that democracy is preferable to autocracy. Showing how much he despises the United States, its constitution, and its heritage, the Fox News host is celebrating the achievements of a petty Central European autocrat, Viktor Orban. He seems to believe that by paying homage to Hungary's assault on democratic institutions, he will make people angry at home just as his host does. The good thing about Orban... Carlson told a dinner party in Budapest is that you're truly hated by all the right people. And yes, all the right people includes everyone who still has some faith in the American dream. Wow. You know, I guess I am sick of this, um, you know, the, the, the sense that the right wing somehow um, has a monopoly on loving America, on patriotism, on flag waving, when really... They have a rage against America, and it's so dramatically on display. I, I, I guess I'm, I, I often worry 
about overstatement. In this case, I actually worry that we're understating the awfulness of this particular, you know, chuckling chode in Budapest. Yeah, well, look, I, you hit on two things, and I want to get into both of them. But on the patriotism part first, just because I did, just because I mean, it is really astonishing. I think like during the Olympics, it feels very stark. You know, it's like you have, you have, you know, our friend over at National Review, Rich Lowry, writes this whole book about in defense of nationalism. And I feel like every time I open up Twitter, he's like grading our athletes based on how how much, uh, you know, how appropriate their, you know, flag waving is after they win <laughs> medals, yeah. right? And like mm-hmm. trashing the ones and praising them and, you know, put it in a, and, you know, obviously Trump attacks the the uh, women's soccer team and, and, and you know, and uh, Tucker's in Budapest and, you know, obviously now they, they hate football and they hate baseball and they hate Coca-Cola and they hate our big, I, I mean, there, there is a hatred of the growing diversified America that is, that is widespread. And it feels like the more you talk about how much of a patriot and a nationalist you are, you know, the more actually aggrieved you are about yeah. the dynamic, you know, wonderful uh, country that we live in. Of and, the actual uh, America. The actual okay, America. Of the actual, these are actual Americans. And when the women's soccer team was defeated the other day, the the glee, the joy on right-wing Twitter was truly amazing. You know, especially because they would describe themselves, we are way more pro-American than you are, except when we're talking about these Americans. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, imagine going back, and it's just not that long ago. Uh, you know, the John Kerry, the Freedom Fries. Remember all this? Like, mm-hmm. had, what if John Kerry in 2004 had been like, I'm rooting for the French soccer team because one of the American players, you know, is an evangelical Christian or something? You know, if you if you do the inverse, I mean, just the widespread mockery. Uh, but somehow they, somehow they get away with this. Like, they have this protective bubble around themselves because – um, you know, they uh, 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 claim, you know, to be such patriots, um, you know, despite the fact that Kerry was actually a Vietnam veteran and all this. Uh, I mean, it really, it's, it's just it's, it's kind of hard to really wrap one's head around, like when you really, you know, watch it day in, day out for the last two weeks, just just how deep seated their their grievances towards their own country. And, and I, I mean, I think that this hungry thing is right you know, a, a, a prime, ex- a prime example of it. I, one of the things that Tucker is bragging on Orban over is, is, you know, how the, he has control over his borders and he has control over his culture. Right. And I think that is the, that is what this is all about. Right. Like Tucker w- d- does not love the America that is pluralistic. And that as Applebaum said, you know, is, you know, the hope of the world and where we can, you know, achieve your American dream. Like he loves the blood and soil uh, you know, I want to go back to 1952 America, and we need to block everyone else out that might even change it one iota. And and so and so, Orban is a model for that. But but Hungary is very different from uh, the the basis of Hungary as a nation is very different from America, right? The um, no kidding. The history of these countries are very different, right? So it, it, it isn't analogous, and and so it, it actually shows a loathing of the country. But I, I want I do want to talk about Fidesz. Uh, Am I saying that right, Fidesz? Uh, Fidesz, uh, the uh, Hungarian, yeah, the yeah. Hungarian party um, that Orban's in. Because I, I know just a little bit about this. Because in the um, 
late aughts, like early 2010s, um, Orban was having a lot of Republican political consultants come over. Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and he was really coming to power then as a sort of center-right, right. Uh, at least that's how he's positioning himself, um, you know, politician, right? And he was pushing back against kind of the far left in Hungary. And, you know, there, there's this coalition of, of center-right politicians that included like Merkel and Cameron, right? Like extremely... You know, now you consider very centrist, um, you know, politicians uh, in Europe and and working with kind of ex Bush officials, and 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 I I just think that that is a important thing to recognize as far as this slippery slope is concerned. Like like Orban very much came in under the mantle of a traditional right. you know, conservative, and slowly but surely Evolved. over time, you know, like the frog yeah. boiling in water, right? And and uh, you know took over. You know, different elements of, um, you know, nationalized the communications uh, companies there and, and took over power of the of the of the media companies. And, you know, then I well, obviously this is tied to traditional conservatism, but the, you know, kind of t- ramped up the anti trans anti homophobia stuff and then went hard line on the border and, and kind of slowly but surely morphed into this. The kind of a Trumpian authoritarian figure we see now, and it is it's inter- uh, usually um, you know it's the inverse where the Europeans are imitating our politics, but um, it's like the inverse right now. I mean, what, I think what you're seeing in uh, yeah. Orban is about as good of a model as is out there for like the trajectory uh, of the Republican Party. No, exactly, and that's and you you can't ignore the fact that you have uh, one of the most influential conservatives in the country who is now praising that model and and saying that you know this is something clearly. I mean, still the implication is there that somehow that you know um, America should become more like Hungary, which is by the way we've had a kind of a big week with this with the American greatness folks talking about the Salazar option, the you know that American greatness involves being more like what Portugal used to be. Really, I mean it's kind of absurd. But um, this is also part of the flip back to uh, the focus on the border and the danger of immigrants. Have you noticed that uh, this is the new line? It just it you were gone for two weeks. Um, the, the right sort of has been, you know, you know, flailing around. Do we take vaccines seriously? Do we not take vaccines seriously? Do we spread disinformation? You know, is it no tread on me? Um, they seem to have settled on the it's these brown skinned illegal immigrants who are infected, who are the real danger to public health. Have you noticed this? They are all in now on everything is the fault of the border crisis. It's kind of a return to the the the, the, the playbook that they're very comfortable with. Uh, I think of it as kind of a replay of uh, of the caravans are coming that we heard back in in 2018. But you know, across right wing media and Republican politicians, it's border, border, border. I mean, it is. Um, it's it's kind of remarkable how fast, even though. All you have to do is look at a map of where the hot spots are, and like, like uh, Ron DeSantis is like, you know, he's 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 all in, you know, apex predator mode. You know, Joe Biden, do your job, fix the border. Um, there's no fucking border uh, between Florida and Mexico. These other states. But again, it's a great way of changing the subject, deflecting from their own recklessness to try to come up with who's going to be the scapegoat. And right now, whether you're talking about Fox News or the Washington Examiner or National Review or Wall Street Journal, it's all those immigrants bringing disease with them across the border. And it, I'm just I'm, I'm just laying out the marker. This is going to be it. This is this is their comfort zone. And this is where they're going. 
Well, I just want to start by saying if they're just so upset with the immigrants coming here, they everybody is welcome to go to Hungary if Viktor Orban is going to have them. You know, I and mean, I've been to Budapest. It's nice about four months a year and about eight months a year. It's horrible. It's uh, dark and dreary. Uh, and, you know, if everybody wants to move to the Hungarian countryside and see if the, their quality of life increases, I just I, I think I just support that 100 percent. So I hope that Rod and Tucker bring bring everybody that that no longer you know that is so scared of the immigrants coming across the border that they can't handle it anymore and they need to go into a lockdown uh, uh ethno-nationalist state i think hungary's a great place for them um as, as far as this border is concerned uh you know i, I Here's the thing. It is it's one of these examples where there's a nugget of a fair criticism here, right? Which is that like I, it is pretty absurd, frankly, that like people that if your, you know, great aunt lived in, you know, Sweden and wanted to come visit you right now, like she couldn't. I, it is it, whereas, you know, where, you know, the asylum uh, system is 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 much more um, uh, much more holy than that, I guess, as far as giving people options to come. But but then the problem is when you take this like fair criticism, which it, when I think the result is, by the way, which is people should be able to get vaccinated and fly into America um, uh, from other countries and, and turn it into, oh, now we're blaming the immigrants for this self-inflicted problem that is infest in that that is infesting right. the whole country, right? I mean, the JVL wrote about this this week, where if you asked unvaccinated people whose fault it is, the immigrants are the number one answer. The number one. Right. I know. I, I mean, this, know, was, this works. Well, it's it's convenient. It really is. And, you know, and, you know, it, should, it actually shouldn't be that surprising considering that, I mean, the whole Trump era began with him coming down the golden escalator and, you know, talking about Mexican rapists. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is this is. And the, and the party went, yes, absolutely. And he said, and we should ban all Muslims. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is great. This is who we are. So. Well, and, De, and DeSantis has this playbook down, by the way. You oh, know? Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. you can just see oh, yeah. all of the, you know, soft, the people that didn't, that didn't really like Trump's behavior, but just were apologists for him his entire four years on the right. Uh, you know, no criticism of Ron DeSantis can be broached, right? I mean, you can ju- you, oh, you yeah. just see him firing up the defenses the, on the, Twitter, all the conservative intellectual class all the people that were for scott walker in 2016 uh you know they are they are very defensive of their man ron and it's like you know he's he okay he he hasn't been the worst of the worst right he hasn't been candace owens he's not a total anti-vaxxer but he did get vaccinated on fox which i guess is good but he has this press conference where he's blaming the immigrants for for the spike in his state, you know there there were over I think it was yesterday it was 160 uh, I can get fact checked on that but over 100 totally unnecessary deaths in Florida, uh, you know in Israel and in in Britain they they are not having this rate of death like post vaccine like yes there are some exceptions yes there's some things that that, that um you know, the, the, uh, that slipped through the cracks. But, like, Florida is having a massive hospitalization and death crisis that's totally unnecessary. We have a cure for this. And Ron DeSantis is holding a press conference blaming the border and then and then, and then then suing the cruise lines for just the fucking obvious responsible thing, which is, like, requiring the people get vaccinated if you're about to get on a damn ship where you're all stuck together in tight quarters for a week. Yeah, I mean, here, 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 it's madness. Well, here's the lead in the Washington Post right now. As COVID-19 hospitalizations in Florida surged past 12,000 this week, that's hospitalizations, far exceeding a record already shattered over the weekend, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was fed up 
not with those spreading misinformation about vaccines or refusing to take protective measures. DeSantis instead railed against reporters for creating hysteria about rising hospitalizations and accused President Biden of facilitating the virus by not reducing immigration through the southern border. So, I mean, right now, he's the governor of the state that's the epicenter of a summer coronavirus spike fueled by the Delta variant. But again, it's not his fault. It's the media. It's Biden. And you're absolutely right. A lot of the anti-anti-Trump folks have morphed really seamlessly into anti-anti-DeSantis. You criticize DeSantis and you're going to hear from the usual suspects. Hey, could we just take a break? I, w- I want to talk about a couple of things, including the um, the creepy as hell announcement from Apple that they're going to be looking at our phones. I also want to talk about what we've learned in the last uh, several days about the, the the Trump coup that it was it was really much more real than we thought. And I want to talk about that um, on the other side. Hey, Charlie Sykes here. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you will have access to our morning newsletters, to JVL's Triad, uh, as well as our whole suite of podcasts. This one will remain free, but if you want to listen to the secret podcast or uh, participate in our live streams uh, or others like the Next Level podcast, uh, please consider joining Bulwark Plus. We're back with uh, my colleague, Tim Miller. Uh, Tim, um can we just, just shift gears for a moment? Because th- this is really... Just I'm, before we sort of shift yeah, gears, yeah, Charlie, yeah. I did one fact check during the yeah. commercial break here just because I want to make sure I have myself right. Is Israel, you know, there there's about three times less uh, than Florida as far yeah. as population. They had six deaths yesterday in Israel, right? Totally. So, I mean, it's just like, it's not... Uh, this is just a just a, an important, like, image for people, like, for what things should be looking like right now in our Hot Joe summer, right? And, like, what if DeSantis was being responsible, what things should be looking like in Florida? If they were at this rate of a highly vaccinated place like Israel, they'd have, like, 18 deaths yesterday. Yeah, you know, the it's, entire like, state. It's 10, 10 times, right, in the entire state. So, it's, it's 10 times now. Like, this is... This is real human life. So anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 It is an important comparison because right now, guys like DeSantis think that demagoguing the border is a politically winning issue. And it may be. Let's just let that aside. But, but you know, the, the cost of their wager is going to be measured in human lives. These are real people. Did you happen to see that video? Of the kid who was, uh, uh, you know, who was in the intensive care unit, who was, and they were, they were trying to, you know, he was, I think he was intubated. It was, I mean, it's, it, it's traumatic stuff, and it's, it's the, it's the failure. I mean, I suppose that after all these years of cultivated lack of empathy, we shouldn't be shocked that more than six hundred thousand deaths and a resurge of, of of the pandemic would would not affect these guys at all. I mean, okay, so yes, he got vaccinated. Good on him on all of that. But he is fully in chuckling chode mode in every other respect. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I've been watching. And these videos are horrific. I, I watched a number they of are. them because just I wanted to pick one for the not my party on vaccine vaccinations this week, and they're real. They're traumatizing. They're trying, and, and you can right. feel the pain of these folks. And it's just it's hard not to get upset knowing that like there's that I just. Like what you think about your fellow man. I mean, there are millions of people out there that can watch these videos and see them and be like, eh, 
you know, I'm yeah. taking I'm taking my well, chances on this one. We've well, got the miracle drug, but you know, I'll, I'm I'm just gonna take my hydroxychloroquine instead because well, or the I'm pillow gonna, man says so. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be outraged about you know the caravan because that's all it is. Hey, by the way, the my pillow guy, um, this CNN interview with him. Have you seen this? Have you watched? <laughs> I didn't get to watch this. It is truly amazing. I I know the, the people might have read about it. How the guy sits down, the investigative reporter, and he just dismantles Mike Lindell. I mean, again, I maybe that's low hanging fruit. But it is a masterful job. It is the evisceration of my pillow guy is truly a thing of beauty. It is. It is remarkable. Okay, so um, we'll come. We're going to come back to this this edition caucus and everything in a moment. I I have to say this: the one story that is really grinding my gears this morning, and I really do think it's creepy as fuck. This story. I don't, again, let me go to the Washington Post so people don't think I'm exaggerating. Apple unveiled a sweeping new set of software tools Thursday that will scan iPhones and other devices for child pornography and text messages with explicit content and report users suspected of storing illegal pictures on their phones to authorities. Okay, you know, child pornography is terrible. Anything we can do to fight it, I am completely in favor of that. However, the aggressive plan to thwart child predators and pedophiles and prohibit them from utilizing Apple's services for illegal activity pitted the tech giant against civil liberties activists and appeared to contradict some of its own long-held assertions about privacy and the way the company interacts with law enforcement. And here's here's the nut graph here. The move also raises new questions about the nature of smartphones and who really owns the computers in their pockets. The new software will perform scans on its users' devices without their knowledge or their explicit consent and potentially put innocent users in legal jeopardy. So right now, and this is Apple, remember when they wouldn't unlock their phone after some terrorist, you know, killed mm-hmm. all kinds of people because you no know, privacy was so important, we can't even cooperate. They are now going through your phone. You think it's your phone? You own that phone? They're looking at your pictures. They're looking at these text messages. And again, they say it's looking for child predators. That's great. But does it take that much imagination, Tim, to think about how this might be abused um, by somebody else who's decided, hey, let, let's let's add something else to the list of things we really don't like as the pretext for going through everybody's stuff because everything you do is on that freaking phone. Yeah, and I I guess that they're supposed to be supposedly comparing it to. You know things in a ch- government child uh, porn pornography database. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because I saw some pushback on this about people are like, I mean, I don't know. I take what I, like is my two year old in the bath? Oh. You know, are you going to flag that photo? And and so I, and I think that a lot of questions being answered at this. I, my, my thing about Apple is that it is interesting. It's I think it's because they do have this kind of goody two shoes liberal. Um, uh, you know, brand identity. Uh, and, and I think more, you know, tend to be, uh, at least in the old days, I think these days everybody kind of uses Apple, but like, you know, initially kind of more liberal user base uh, that like they get inoculated from these criticisms in a way that like Amazon and Elon Musk and Facebook, et cetera, don't. And it's like, Apple's like basically evil. This has been a long time pet peeve of mine and whatever. I, I don't know what to do about it though. I use an iPhone and I have a, I have a, I have an iMac, but like, um, uh, they, you know, I, the, the, you know, the combination between this surveillance power and their absolute refusal to, you know, even at all modify their behavior in China, 
Um, and you know, the fact that a lot of their equipment is built in China and, and built in regions of China where there are atrocities happening and, and their willingness to go along with Xi on, you know, what, uh, the kind of crackdowns on apps and whatnot that, that are needed in the country. I, and, and, you know, then when Trump was in power, Cook was buddying up to him and like basically let him have free PR about how, you know, remember when he talked about how Apple is going to be building all these plants in America as part of Trump's made in America plan, which was all bullshit. So, I, you know, I mean, I, it is it is alarming. I, I, it is, I do feel a little bit like helpless on this. And so I kind of try to block it out of my mind, though. Well, what are we going to do about it? Well, I, I do mean, think I'm not going to do the Benedict option like Rod Dreher and move to Hungary and get rid of all my devices. And, and Rod Dreher, by the way, the Benedict option apparently includes the Orban option because he's all he's all like fanboy about Tucker Carlson sucking up to Victor Orban. So. Okay, so um, let, let's switch back to the, 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 the Sedition Caucus for, for a moment. Uh, the, the publication Just Security uh, has just published a timeline of all the things that Mark Meadows, uh, the deplorable former presidential chief of staff, was engaged in on January 6th. And I know that you've been looking really closely at it. I guess this is just another data point that, you know, I, I think underlines the fact that the that the efforts to overturn this election were much more serious than even some of the the darker um, some of our darker fears were. I mean, you know, Bill Crystal, you know, kept tweeting out, "I'm really alarmed. I'm I'm alarmed. I'm still alarmed." And people went, "Oh, come on, Bill! Come it on, can't Bill!" That. And now we're finding out that maybe it was even worse than that. So, so tell me about the. I have not had a chance to look at this. This just security timeline on on Mark Meadows. Yeah. I think it's interesting because Meadows plays the two track thing, right? Like he talks to the mainstream reporters and he, when he'll talk to, you know, your friends are on this, on the pod, Rucker and Lennig yeah. and these folks, you know, and he plays the, well, I thought Rudy was being a little crazy. You know, I, he, he plays that game, right? When he's talking to, you know, people in polite company while, you know, when he's talking to MAGA world, he got caught obviously last week, you know, pretending like Trump is still having cabinet, like cosplay cabinet meetings. Um, ooh, you know, ooh, I wonder ooh, if they were like kind of the Confederate tri-corner hats to these meetings. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, I think that what Just Security did, which was kind of puncture this, you know, effort by Meadows to do that. And, and I think really make a very compelling case that he should be compelled to testify under oath. I think they raised the question um, which is, uh, you know, a legal questions above my pay grade about whether, you know, possibly even the select committee should let a grand jury or the Department of Justice move first on this because of the, you know, extent of his of his exposure. But when when you lay it all out, I mean, Meadows was very closely working with Giuliani. Uh, I had not realized. I guess this had been reported, but but Meadows flew to Georgia and um, made a surprise visit to the uh, investigator. This is after the election. This is in December. And then arranged the call uh, between Trump and that investigator in Georgia and then arranged the call between Trump and Raffensperger, the famous call um, that was that, that was leaked. Um, you know, he on January 6th, he was he was with that just absolute schmuck Cash Patel um, who, who uh, had, had actually no, no qualifications of, besides being a Trump stooge, but kept getting promoted inside the Trump White House to the point where he was the uh, acting, acting, acting defense secretary's acting chief of staff um, on, on January 6th uh, and, and was was kind of plotting um, close closely with them. I, I think that there were a number of other people that this timeline demonstrated uh, expressed concerns about Meadows' actions, including General Milley and others. And and I mean, I, you should just everyone should just read it all. But um, 
you know, I, there was that one email that was leaked um, about Meadows being concerned about New Mexico, right? And then he sends Mexico. it to this Jeffrey Clark fella who's uh, and Jeffrey Rosen, who's uh, but Clark is like this random mid-level hack at the Department of Justice that Meadows is trying to then elevate as a potential replacement for for Rosen. Uh, so I mean, there there was you know you see some of these things you know get leaked within store within big stories or in these books that are coming out, but I, when you put it all together, it's a very damning picture of of his actions and ju- and how you know many different routes that they were taking as, as they were considering their options and keeping trump in power against the will of the people and and and, and it's just very you know when you see it all laid out together in one timeline and it's something that we all knew but it's good to have all the facts there that, that just demonstrates this was a legitimate effort for a sitting president who lost re-election to stay in power, again, you know, extra legally, and it's 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 unprecedented in American history, and and Meadows was a key cog in that, and and he needs to be he needs to be held accountable for it. A lot of people need to be held accountable, and and again, again uh, the the fact that we're still learning this, so the picture is still coming into focus, you know, underlines again how important I think the the January sixth committee is, and 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 how aggressive I hope they are when it comes to uh, when when it comes to subpoenas, because you know we, I don't think we have the full story. I don't think we even with all of the journalism, even with everything that we've seen so far, I still think there's a lot of. Um, Unknown unknowns or known unknowns. I will say I've been pretty encouraged. Um, You know, I've had some conversations with, you know, obviously, you know, a friend of the pod, Adam Kinzinger is is now on the committee and and some other folks. It does feel like um, they are. Uh, a very serious about getting involvement of of Republicans and with even anti former Trump official whistleblowers in in this process, and um, and so I I do think that you know there was maybe a fair criticism of the impeachment efforts more the first one than the second, but even a little bit the second that there was a real. You know that they did a good job of making their case, of the performative part of it, but but maybe were not as full and thorough as they could have been, as far as you know, trying to you know pull every string of potential you know Republican folks who who had had enough and were ready to play ball, and it definitely feels like they're doing that this time. So that's encouraging. I don't. The legal part of this is a big question. I think Kinzinger and them are super hopeful. Their subpoenas that this sort of executive privilege um, uh, excuse that they used to get out of testifying in the second impeachment is not going to work this time. Uh, they're optimistic about that, but you know, kind of we'll see when the rubber meets the road. So I, I have a gift for somebody in our audience who, who might want to write a book. Uh, I was thinking about this last night. Um, you could do a fascinating book on just the forty-eight hours of January 5th and January 6th and everything that happened and how it changed American politics. January 5th, of course, being the date of the Georgia special election um, where Democrats lost control of the Senate, which has had tremendous implications. Then, of course, everything that happened on January 6th. But speaking of Georgia, um, and because, I mean, that whole Georgia story of the candidates running, and you were all over this, you know, that they yeah. were completely in favor of the Sedition Caucus. They were all in on all of that. And this was the day before. And I think I think a lot of what happened on January 6th was was shadowed by the, the defeat of Republicans the day before in Georgia. I don't think enough attention has been paid to that. Um, by the way, you have also 
written about uh, the so-called uh, Herschel Walker problem because the w- one of the bigger elections, and there are many next year, will be uh, the Senate election in um, in Georgia where Ralph Warnock is up for re-election. And I don't know whether you've seen these polls, but um, by far the best known of the Republican candidates is the, shall we say, uh, extremely problematic Herschel Walker. And so I see the political playbook is talking about the the GOP's Herschel Walker problem, because that guy may actually get the nomination. <laughs> and that, that's um that's kind of a, a PTSD flashback for Republicans who nominated people who uh, uh, then proceeded to completely self-immolate uh, and, and lose uh, potentially winnable Senate seats. Um, yeah, I, I want to get to Herschel just one second, but I think you made a really good point about the fifth. And I, and I think that there's this counterfactual where the Georgia runoff wasn't happening, mm-hmm. uh, where I, I think Trump would have been much more limited in his ability to stir up you know, the – um, you know, potential uh, overturning of the election, but also just stir up the masses outrage um, had he not had those two runoff elections. Right. I, I think it was very much a flashpoint. And, and I think and that Mitch you know, McConnell about, might have Mitch McConnell, broke right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Say what you want about Mitch. Um, uh, he's made a lot of horrific decisions, but he seemed extremely reluctant to go along with the nonsense after the election, but kind of did because, of, you know, his majority leadership was was at stake so this is obviously not a profile in courage and he should you know live in shame you know for the fact that he went along with it uh, to the extent that he did all the way to the fifth but uh, you know there's i think good reason to believe that had the senate majority been decided already that mcconnell might have you know done what he could to to uh to crimp you know trump's efforts uh, i think it wouldn't have totally stopped it but i think it would have limited it quite a bit um as yeah, far so, as Walker, but so, yeah, so that, that's why that's why i think those two days are so interesting yeah. because all of the narratives sort of come together you know all of the roads lead to that i mean it would be um because you're absolutely right what why did the big lie get so much traction well because republicans just did not want to break with trump before that election i mean it really did uh you know it was it was it was kind of the the huge roadblock uh before january 6th okay so Herschel Walker. I mean, Herschel Walker is, I mean, this guy, this guy's Looney Tunes. And that's a nice way of saying, uh, you know. No, he's completely Looney Tunes. And he, and he would, you know, and, and, you know, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to play one on this podcast. But obviously, there's always the questions of like, is there a CTE issue, you know, with the concussions and given what has happened with football? Herschel has actually been very outspoken about how he doesn't have CTE. And, you know, kind of, you have to say it, that, that, that raises mm-hmm. some questions, but how he does, and and how football players need to take responsibility for themselves, and he and he's very much a you know pull yourself up for your bootstraps and be a man kind of guy, um, and and so you know look uh, he has on the personal side um, uh, is extremely volatile. Um, There's the stories of how he'd play Russian roulette with people that came to his house, um, which is you take you put one bullet <laughs> in the chamber of a gun and then you spin it and then you give the gun to a to the guest at his home and ask them to shoot him, like to pull the trigger to take your chances. And then oh boy. the person didn't, the person never did it, obviously. But then Herschel would take the gun from them and say, you're, you know, you're a wimp. I'm going to do it myself and pull the trigger. I mean, this is traumatizing. He had, he had some spousal abuse issues. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, obviously went full in for Trump, but I was, I would say even kind of on the my pillow edge of the election fraud conspiracy theorizing. I mean, you know, as we said, Purdue and Leffler, you know, went along with this to their shame, but, but, you know, they weren't out there 
pushing the oh you know bamboo and the ballots and dominion and dead hugo chavez and all this uh and and herschel was all in and on january 4th herschel tweeted like in all caps you know though we're being stolen i forget exactly what the the phrasing but i remember the phrasing of all caps being like great patriots need to stand up this is two days before the election and or before the insurrection rather his son is a is a very interesting character if you're interested in such things he's a conservative tiktok star he's a gay black young zoomer tiktoker who kind of does like a reverse racism shtick mostly um on tiktok and uh he on january 6th tweeted that there will be more of this coming that like the elite that this is this is this is the comeuppance of the elites walker his dad continued to retweet and share his absolutely insane rants um so, I mean, you can read, the, if you go back and read the whole Herschel Walker article it's I wrote, there are a ton of other anecdotes um, about this. But, you know, suffice it to say, he's a loony. Now, he is polling, as you said, better than, I mean, Leffler is like, a, you know, is like the worst of both worlds, right? Like she has no appeal to, you know, the uh, soft, you know, Raffensperger type Republicans. And she also has, you know, no appeal to the Trumpy type Republicans. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess it's not that surprising that she's pulling worse than him, but you know, potentially Walker can you know pull off a little bit, you know, a small percentage more of the black vote, potentially more of a low info voters who kind of just know him as a football star. I and mean, obviously, he'll have all this baggage would show up in ads, and and the reports are that McConnell is trying to push Walker out of the race in favor of someone else though you know i mean their uh, our record as the gop establishment on this isn't actually that great obviously you know a lot of times i think if you worry about the worst case scenario which is walker gets in and then he wins which is you know in an off year uh, in a good republican year very it's very possible so um it is it, 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 it there's an interesting drama both behind the scenes there with the machinations with um the republican senate uh, and then just the the drama of a potential crazy ass Herschel Walker Christian Walker campaign. Wonderful. For, for well, it would, it would it would not be boring. Okay, so can I talk to you about hate mail? Oh please, are you getting, we get do, it? Do do, we get do, 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 well, do you get any hate mail? I mean, that's a, I get a little, I, not too much. I get mostly love mail. I like the love mail. Every once in a while, I get a little hate mail. Okay, all right. So I I I. I Put this in my newsletter. You can actually, you know, read read, read this today. It's actually not hate mail. It's a it's it's a DM. It's uh, and, and and the reason I, I posted it was because there's kind of the interesting phenomenon because you probably remember um, back in the day those happy days when we were all looking forward to just going back to having arguments about things like budgets, taxes, and uh, eviction moratoriums. Right? You know, can't we just disagree on these substantive issues? Uh, so uh, this week, I think there was a little bit of disagreement um, on our part about uh, Joe Biden saying that, yeah, it's probably illegal, but we're going to continue this uh, eviction moratorium. Right. I mean, it was yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of a disagreement. It's it's fucking ridiculous. But no, okay, uh, it, is, it is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and we and we said this. Look, I mean, we, we've spent the last five years talking about norms and the rule of law and the Constitution. And um, they still matter, even though they changed the administration. And I don't know what kind of reaction I, I noticed, you know, the comments on the on the live stream last night that uh, most of the progressives uh, seem to uh, understand or at least respect um, our our descent from this, you know, essentially saying we're going to ignore the law and we're going to do this anyway. But, OK, I, I got this DM from a guy and I wanted okay. to just to share it. Okay. So it starts off this way. You supported the Iraq war. 
But you, but you draw the line at saving three million people from being evicted. Okay, so that's some that's some really <laughs> heroic connecting the dots there. Okay, you draw the line at saving three million people. I know you've been anti-Trump since the beginning, but you're honestly worse than he is. At <laughs> least, okay, at least he's honest about how shitty of a human being he is. You pretend to have values and morals, and then you support policies that continue to reinforce economic and racial inequality under the surface. Okay, so this escalated very quickly. So I wrote back to him, yeah, I'm definitely worse than Trump. You got me there. Um, he kept going. Yeah, your snide comment, it was a snide comment, won't <laughs> overcome the million dead Iraqis, Charlie. Okay, so if you don't support the CDC eviction moratorium, we're, we're back to the million dead you, you want to kill Iraqis. Okay, you're a bad person and a worse intellectual. Neoconservatives like yourself delivered us Trump. So yes, you are worse. At least when we fight Trump, we know our enemy. You're you evil <laughs> sons of bitches. And that probably includes you. Supported invading a country and act like you still so, have an ounce of can moral. I just pause, can I just pause? Because yeah, yeah. I get this a lot too. Glenn Greenwald okay. also. Yeah, right. Every time he attacks me, he's like, "You yeah. were with Bush in the Iraq War," and I'm like, "I was 16 when the Iraq <laughs> War started." Okay, like okay, so I did you not get support this. the Iraq War. I never worked for George Bush. I mean, I guess I, I supported the Iraq War tacitly as like a high school kid who like thought it was cool and like, whoops, like that was a big mistake. But I mean. You know, I, I do. I, do, I have a lot you of things this. you can get me for, but I, they do always come for the whack word, which Joe Biden like f fucking voted for, by the way. No, that's uh, okay. you know, I was that's a okay. teenager. Well, I, I think you're worse than Trump, too. So at least in this guy's <laughs> OK. So, yes, you are worse. At least when we fight Trump, we know our enemy, you evil sons of bitches, supported invading a country and act like you still have an ounce of uh, moral high ground left. If I was you, I would work on shutting the fuck up and using my obscene amount of wealth. OK, What? <laughs> Don't lie. To actually fucking help my fellow Americans. I'd also apologize for being a complete shit, but I have a soul, so I don't expect that from you. Okay, so th this required Ooh. a response, and I wrote back, thanks for your thoughts. I hope you understand why I'm blocking you. Please do not take it personally. It's just that your stuff is too stupid to keep reading, <laughs> to which he said, um, laughing my ass off, cool Charlie, hope you enjoy hell. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, that's so lovely. it's it's lovely just so people know that there are that you know that there are limits to disagreement like any disagreement yeah. <laughs> this, this is the interesting thing is that there was once a time in my life when i made a real distinction saying okay you and i can disagree about x y and z but it doesn't mean that that you are a bad person we just disagree on these policies but if you notice how much of politics is that if you disagree with me on this policy you are an evil evil person and I think this is kind of the new thing, right? It's just like I and, I'm, and I am done with you. We're not going to talk about the, the you know, the, the w whether or not you we want to have the CDC have the power to shut down the economy every time it thinks you know on no statute. The Supreme Court basically told the administration you cannot do this. Joe Biden's acknowledged that most of the constitutional scholars that he's talked to think that it's illegal. But if you do not take this position. You are like the worst fucking human being on earth. I do think, Charlie, the nice thing about the, I'm going to be positive here. The nice thing about yeah. the Bulwark community is that, like, mm -hmm. we, I do get a lot of mail, and this is not a fish for male compliments, so I, I welcome compliments, just like anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, but 
Yeah, I, I do think that, that because we're able to have these more, longer, more in-depth conversations and because people have like chosen to come and take the time to learn our points of view and that we have lengthy exchanges with readers and most of us, you know, most of the time we're, we reply and, and hear everybody's point of views, that like you, you, you learn that you, you get this sort of more, you know, full and layered view of a human and, and about their attempts to try to tackle complex issues. And so I think that's why we, I get, we get frankly less hate mail than, than play at other, at other places. And so what so I've tried to do is, you know, if somebody's like, Tim, you know, you're a shit because of the Iraq war. Like I just try to, I just try to block that out. <laughs> so I'm like this person, I'm not going to let this affect me. This person does not actually not know anything about me. Um, uh, though, you know, we all have our weak moments, um, as, as, as it seems like you might've, uh, Charlie, but, um, yeah, it stings deeper when it's somebody who's like, I've been watching you and listening to you and I've decided you're a shit. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that, you know, send me into therapy. Well, I'm in, in, in terms of the letters we get, as you know, I, I put out a newsletter every weekend, usually Sunday morning. I try to get it out Sunday morning, which is the you know reader feedback and and, and the vast majority they're of they're great. Is, they are great and they are really they're, they're positive. But well, that's the interesting thing. Now, that's the thing that really strikes me is how thoughtful our, our listeners and readers are, you know, and, and and how capable they are of nuance. And um, they and they take time to write really substantive responses, unlike the one that I just shared with you on this podcast. Uh, so if you are a bulwark uh, plus a subscriber, uh, you know, check your mailbox on, on Sunday and you will see a different view. Okay. So we haven't I'm even waiting talk- for a substantive response, by the way. I just, I, I don't know anything about, so, so one of the pay fors I'm just throwing this out there to the reader. So we're talking about emails. One of the pay fors of this infrastructure bill is, is we're making the crypto bros pay some taxes on their crypto. And just as Good. a general principle, I think that's great. And so I tweeted that and like, I had multiple, so my, while you were getting Iraq war attacks yesterday. And my <laughs> inbox was like from all the crypto bros that are like, oh, you're an idiot, like blah, 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 sending memes. And like nobody, I'm waiting for someone to send me. I'm open to the fact that what they're doing is bad. I don't I don't know anything about the substance of the bill and the, infra- and the infrastructure bill. Just as a general principle, I just think that the crypto bros should pay taxes like everybody else. And and, uh, and so if, if there is a substantive criticism, I'm open to that. We're, we're, we, we'll, we'll do it. We'll even run it. Uh, we we will run it. Okay, so we haven't talked about Andrew Cuomo. Um, okay. Does does do, do, look? I mean, I no point in discussing whether he should resign. Of course, he should resign. He should be out. Um, do you think he survives this? And then and then, and then of course, the, what that depends on your definition of the word survives. Yeah, I don't um, because of the numbers in the legislature. It feels like they could impeach him. I think the big question is: uh, Could Cuomo play a game of chicken? with the New York Senate and House. And, the, uh, and you know, he has a lot of powers at his disposal to, you know, twist some arms and buy some people off, maybe people who might pay lip services to supporting impeachment but not actually support it. And so, you know, the question is, could he play a game of chicken with the leadership of the New York State Legislature and, and get them to back down and survive? I just... I just don't know enough about the current dynamics um, of of kind of w- the mood in Albany, if you will, uh, to know whether that's possible. It feels like it's possible, but um, so I'm not sure. saying he's a hundred percent out. But but boy, the odds seem to be to 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 be in his disfavor and and extremely well deserved. I'm literally the only people defending him right now, are like the Newsmax guy, you know, and. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so that, that was my that was my next question: is I, I, who is defending him? Because there there is the asymmetry. Because you know Trump could count on you know the usual you know Amen corner you know to support him, and he had a you know media ecosystem that was going to support him and everything. I just don't see anyone coming to Andrew Cuomo's defense on CNN, MSNBC. It ranges from you know just you know pure outrage to thorough disgust, you know, and how fast to get rid of him. So who is the? I mean, and, the, and there are no Democrats that have come out and said we, we stand with you. Is he shedding people at a stunning, stunning rate? So who's the Newsmax guy that's defending him? Uh, Greg Kelly. Uh, oh, Greg Kelly's up, Twitter feed is yeah, insane, oh, he, and, yeah. and it's like I I hate. You know, I, I, I've, I've done very good about culling my feed. You know, if I'm working on an article, I'll go into the crazy swamps, you know, and watch the watch the stupid Bannon podcast or video stream or whatever I need to do to know to write an article. But I've but just day to day for my mental health, I've tried to cull my Twitter feed of, of the crazy and, and only a few have survived. And Greg Kelly's feed is just too fucking weird to get rid okay, of. But, I mean, but, okay, it is, but what it is, is, it is it's insane. What is the defense? Because every single day it looks like it's, he gets where it's, it's not just that he harassed these women, not just that the evidence is pretty strong. But now the reports about the way he tried to retaliate against yeah. them, you know, what they – I mean, this guy is – I mean, see, I, I don't want to call the him defense, a, ch- a chode because he's a complete dick. I mean, he's yeah. – uh, yeah. The defense basically is that this is like the first sex – this isn't true, but but this is what I've seen. Is that this is – you know, these are the off-the-record Cuomo allies. But like this is the first sex scandal in history that didn't involve any sex. You know, okay. and it's not great. Uh, and uh, and and Kelly is obviously, you know, in a traditional Trumpy stooge manner, is attacking the the victims and you know saying they're making it up and all this stuff for fame and blah blah blah. Um, so I, I don't. I, there isn't like that much. There, there isn't a substantive defense. And and you know, look, the Democrats ran Franken out on the rail on on far less than this. Way um, less. And, you know, so I, I just, I, I, it, this is that's a, this is a good thing. You know, um, uh, the Franken thing. You know, regardless of what you think about the particulars, uh, you know, holding folks accountable is a good thing. And I think that you know, we did our alternate history on Georgia. You roll back the clock to ninety. The nineties, right? I mean, had the Democrats been tougher on Clinton? Like, would that? I said, I said, I said history, that last right? night. I, I actually said that on um, on on television yesterday. That that I, that you 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 look at the at the uh, at the evolution of the Democratic Party. I think that they do uh, recognize they paid a price for that. Um, looking the other way, you know, g- gathering around. So the rules have changed. I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, I, I, I think that you don't get Trump without Clinton and that Trump really was able to leverage the indifference about Clinton uh, to his benefit. And so I, I do think that there's been a transformation. And the contrast, the contrast between the Republicans and the Democrats is, is pretty stark here. However, I think it would be incredibly naive to think that the Democrats doing the right thing with Andrew Cuomo will shame the Republicans in doing the right thing in the future, because I think we've kind of crossed those red lines, haven't we? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anything, it's like the, it's like the, by the polarization. Right? I mean, the Republicans are, seem to get worse. I mean, they literally supported a man who like admitted to pedophilia in the Alabama center race. <laughs> so um, no, I don't, I don't think then Gates is still there. And so, and you know, no, but that doesn't make it, uh, you know, that, again, that doesn't make it okay. And, and the nope. Democrats need to figure out a way to use this to their, to their political advantage. And I, I think that obviously that the, the gender gap has widened um, to the de- Democrats benefit. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that there, there is, in addition to the ethical principle being correct, you know, there's there's political benefit 
to being seen as the responsible party? Uh, one would think so, or at least at one point, um, that would have been plausible. Um, I, I kind of wonder whether or not that even applies any longer to our, to our politics. So anyway, happy Friday and welcome back. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're back. I hope you were able to salvage some of the, your hot show summer still, Tim. It was wonderful and I'm happy to be back and I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll deal to, it won't be quite as much face licking as I was hoping for, I guess, but it still seems pretty darn good. Hard to I'm, I'm, I am just going to leave it right there at the face licking because <laughs> we are not going to go beat past that uh, at this point. Thank you all for listening to uh, the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday and we will do this all over again. <laughs>